0: Three imperatives that are in this verse. No greater thought to go into this verse with than the fact that God is faithful. Not just barely faithful, but great is his faithfulness to us. Thank you, Pastor Byron, for your leadership. I know our people are excited about the three songs I can play on the piano after you're gone. Years ago, when I was at East Leesville Elementary, one of my teachers read me a poem by Shel Silverstein. It's called Sick. It says, I cannot go to school today, said little Peggy Ann McKay. I have the measles and the mumps, a gash, a rash, and purple bumps. My mouth is wet, my throat is dry, I'm going blind in my right eye. My tonsils are as big as rocks, I've counted 16 chicken pox. And there's one more, that's 17. Don't you think my face looks green? My leg is cut. My eyes are blue. It may be instamatic flu. I cough and sneeze and gasp and choke. I'm sure that my left leg is broke. My hip hurts when I move my chin. My belly button's caving in. My back is wrenched. My ankle sprained. My appendix pains each time it rains. My nose is cold. My toes are numb. I have a sliver in my thumb. My neck is stiff. My voice is weak. My tongue is filling up my mouth. I think my hair is falling out. My elbow's bent. My spine ain't straight. My temperature is 108. My brain is shrunk. I cannot hear. There is a hole inside my ear. I have a hangnail, and my heart is, what? What's that? What's that you say? You say today's Saturday. Goodbye. I'm going out to play. How many of you can relate to Peggy and some days you just don't want to go to work or go to school? How many of you can relate to Peggy and that that was your whole journey in school? <laughs> I don't remember a single day I woke up and said, yes, school, yes, let's go. Wouldn't it also be nice if, like Peggy, all our troubles were really just made up and could be evaporated with a simple reminder that it's Saturday? Wouldn't that be nice? It's Saturday, they're all gone. How many of you, though, would be willing to say, not all my troubles are made up? Some of mine are very real. How many of you would say that no matter what the calendar day, be it Saturday, be it Sunday, be it Monday, some of these troubles aren't going away? If that's you, then you're like my friend Alexander, who, bless his heart, one day had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I'm glad you guys know Scripture. All right. Alexander was a little boy whose day began with gum in his hair escalated to falling in the mud and accidentally wreaking havoc in his dad's office. It ends with him biting his tongue. But there's one thing that his mother tells him. I don't know if you remember. There's one thing she tells him towards the end of the story. Some days are just like that. Some days are just like that. And the truth is, some days are just like that, aren't they? Some days the gospel community experiences a horrible Terrible, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Some days there's nothing imaginary, humorous, or trivial about what's going on in our lives. Which leads me, I guess, to an important question for us this morning. On Crosspoint's worst days, can Baton Rouge still see the gospel in us? On our worst days, can they still see the gospel in us? In our most difficult moments, can the world see Jesus in us and through us? A church does not suffer well for Christ on accident, but because we've been equipped to do so by His Spirit and His Word. I believe our text today, Romans 12.12, is a part of that process and a very timely word for us in light of, obviously, multiple families in our faith community who are dealing with one form of trial or another. That's why I love the Word of the Lord. His timing is always perfect and it's always relevant. Let's stand together and read Romans 12.12. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's obviously been giving them some imperatives up to this point. But in verse 12, he gives them three. Here's what he says. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Father, thank you that in your timeliness we would uh, study this scripture today. There are multiple trials represented by the families that sit before me. And Father, we want this to be a place where it's safe to take all the masks off and walk through the trial together. A place where it's safe to say, I need brothers and sisters to bear this burden with me. Father, we want this to be a place where we rejoice in hope, we're patient in tribulation, and we're constant in prayer. But not just because we think it's a good idea, but because you've commanded it and you say this is what we should look like. So, Father, we've been studying your word to let it define who the gospel community is. We see it here this morning in this text, but we know that we desperately need your spirit in order for this to be true of us. Would your spirit light this text up to us? Would you feed us? Would you encourage us? Would you help us to set all of our hope on Christ Jesus and find great joy in which we carry through every tribulation and would you help us to be those that are constant in prayer? Speak to us now from your word. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. A quick review. We've been walking through vital signs of the gospel community since we transitioned to verse 9. And so far we've seen eight vital signs of the gospel community. And we'll add three more. And should the Lord give us next week, then we'll close out the last two in this little five-verse set here which would bring us to 13 total. But the eight that we've seen so far is that in the gospel community there should be genuine love. The gospel community should be those that are hating evil, those that are clinging to what's good. Verse 10, we are reminded that a vital sign is brotherly affection and the love that's evident in that. That we are outdoing one another and showing honor. And then as we saw last week, that we are zealous in works. We are passionate in spirit. And we're serving Jesus. Today we pick up and we're told rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And as we start today, I want us to start right in the middle where he says be patient, right? Patient in tribulation. How many of you said that's the word I wanted to hear this morning? That's the word I was hoping the Lord would give me. I wonder if the reputation of Crosspoint when it comes to trials is we're patient in tribulation. The gospel community is patient in tribulation. You'll see on your outline there, first of all, the certainty of tribulation. We will have trouble, friends. There's no doubts about this. We are going to have tribulation. Jesus himself tells us in John 16:33, in the world you will have tribulation. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Job twice will say, man who's born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He says in Job 5, 7, man is born to trouble. One of the things that we want to help you grasp is tribulation is coming. In case some of you have been spared for 50 years and have experienced none of it, uh, the rest of us will be happy to sit with you at lunch and share some of them. But tribulation is coming. Get that in your mindset. So one of the things we want to do then is be equipped by the Spirit and His Word. How do we walk through that tribulation? Well, the certainty of tribulation. Second is the universality of tribulation. Not only will we have trouble, we will all have trouble. Every one of us will have trouble. First Peter four twelve, Peter writes and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think there's nothing more shocking, you know, as a pastor, when church folk are like, I'm experiencing trouble. I want to be like, have you read Peter? You shouldn't be surprised, you know. But it's even more shocking if we're those who say, oh, I've been doing my quiet time for six weeks. Why is this coming into my life now? I've been doing stuff for Jesus. He owes me a good season, right? Mm. Friends, let's not be those that operate in that mindset. And let us not be those that think, well, if I do this for Jesus, he owes me a sweet month, a sweet week, a sweet day. Friends, let's be grateful that whatever the day is, that Jesus will be in it with us and that he has purposes for all of these, don't be surprised. Don't let Crosspoint be the ones that are surprised. There's a trial. Wake up and expect there's probably going to be trials today. First Peter 5, 9 says, Resist the devil firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood through the whole world. We are not the only ones. That's why we want to pray for the persecuted church today. I hope that you parents will do that again today, and I hope that you do it often with your children, praying for the persecuted church as well as unreached people groups. We tend to be those, however, that throw pity parties or become consumed with self because we're convinced we're the only one experiencing that trouble that day. But how many of you would say someone has a car wreck? How many of you would guess there's more than one car wreck in America per day? I think I've seen two out here in one day at this red light and up there. So on the day you get a a car wreck, immediately we begin saying, Whoa, is me! Wouldn't it be incredible if not only did we pray, God, get me through this, but somewhere else there were other people who were in wrecks today. Father, would you provide for them? How many of you know that more than one person gets fired from a job on the same day? In this economy, we tend to be those who when we get a pink slip or notice of a reduction of hours, has it ever occurred to you that someone else probably got the same thing that day somewhere in the world? We ought to pray for them as well. I mean, you have ever not, uh, not done too well on a test at school, students? Well, the comfort in seeing scores put up at LSU was you could see scores. You didn't know who made it, but you knew you weren't alone, right? I enjoyed that on certain days of, thank you, Jesus, that everyone else has a 54. We tend to be those who pray just for ourselves. Someone else flunked it because they spent too much time at Louis too. Pray for them. Pray for them. Sometimes when we're mocked for being a Christian, has it ever occurred to you that somewhere in the world are people that are suffering and beaten today for the cause of Christ? Wouldn't it be incredible if we prayed for them? And even as devastating as it was with Mr. Carl finding out about the mass in his lungs, I am certain that on the day he found out, other people found out as well, And wouldn't it be incredible if we would be the people who would say, God, wasn't excited to hear this, but know you're with us. Would you be with everyone else today who's going to find out this type of news? See, friends, suffering is universality. We want to be those who realize it's not just us. We don't want to look in only, friends. We want to look out and we want to intercede on behalf. I just want to show you a couple bad days. Turn back to Job in case it's been a while. Job is the perennial picture of a bad day, isn't he? And in case you're you're having a a bad day uh, we might perhaps i don't know if you would find encouragement the only encouragement would be you're not alone and you're not job i guess although job may have wished he was alone after his wife gave her little pep talk right i think job somewhere is like why did you leave her give me back the camels Right? just saying in you don't know, her advice was, why don't you curse God and die? Thanks, honey. Right. That's a helpmate right there. Job chapter 1, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. They weren't Baptists, by the way. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. How many of you would say that's a bad day? Can you fathom this? One right after another begins to arrive and tells you, Everything you have, basically, including your children, have been taken from you, not just seemingly in one day, but in a matter of moments. Well, what do you do? Verse 20 says, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When I studied this several years ago, I have here in blue ink out beside I wrote, what? What are you doing, Job? What are you doing? And yet it would be this verse that sustained me when we experienced our own miscarriage, and Tara said the baby's dead. It would be this verse that the Spirit brought to mind. This is a bad day, but... What does he do? He worships in spite of it. I want you to turn to Matthew 27. And while you turn to Matthew 27, the next time you're having a bad day, you should think about Paul. Paul was preaching Jesus. People didn't like it. They took him outside and they picked up as many rocks as they could and they threw them at him. They stoned him and they thought they had done a sufficient job because they left him for dead. They would not have stopped had they thought he was going to live. The purpose was to kill Paul. I guess should be grateful either they weren't good shots or the Lord supernaturally obviously sustains Paul. Paul gets up and then walks back into that town and then goes on about the business of the gospel. The next time you have a bad day, you should read Acts 14. Meditate on the type of day Paul had at his job. But this week I shared from Matthew 27 with the students at uh, New Orleans Seminary. Next time you have a bad day, turn to Matthew 27 beginning in verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they would mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, led him away to crucify him. Next time, friends, we have a bad day, we should meditate on Jesus. He had a pretty rough day one day as well, being reminded we do not suffer alone. Can you imagine the day that Adam and Eve found out what had happened with Cain and Abel? One son has killed another son. It's a tough day. Friends, the word is full of things to be an encouragement to us, to help us, to sustain us, and to remind us suffering doesn't come just to your house. It comes to all of us. What we see next in our outline that I've given you here is the variety of tribulation. The truth is trials come in various forms. Sometimes tribulation comes to us because of the flesh. 1 Peter 2.11 says that the flesh wages war against our soul every day. And in case you still have not gotten that, the flesh doesn't take a day off. The flesh doesn't take a day off. So neither should we in our reliance upon the Lord Jesus. The flesh will wage war against you all day, the rest of today, tomorrow, every day. The flesh will cause you tribulation and trial. The devil, he's not working for your good. We are also told in Peter that he, the av- he is an adversary who prowls around like a what? Seeking to do what? Devour. Those don't sound like tea and crumpets to me. Those don't sound like uh, warm fuzzies. Let's be buddies. The devil doesn't take a day off. Tribulation will come because of the flesh. Tribulation will come because of the devil. And as you saw, those of you who studied Revelation today, how did Smyrna, how, is, how were they treated by their fellow city people? They were going to be persecuted, right? The world, there's going to be tribulation and trials from the world. and Of course, Polycarp would ultimately be martyred there in Smyrna. But there are various kinds. James says that there are various kinds of troubles and trials that come on us, be it financial, be it from the flesh, be it because I'm being a gospel witness, all kinds of trials. But I do want to encourage you with one tribulation that you don't want to bring on yourself. 1 Peter 4.15, Peter says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Friends, don't let us experience tribulation because we choose sin. There's going to be tribulation, but don't let our tribulation be because we keep choosing sin over and over and over. In that same passage that Peter writes and he says, Don't be surprised that suffering is coming. He says, When you suffer, don't let it be because you've chosen sin and walked in the ways of evil. So we want to be reminded of this. Look, there's the certainty of tribulation. There's a a universality, all of us, and there is a variety in what it looks like. So what should our attitude be? Well, we come back to Romans 12, and here's what he says. Be patient in tribulation. How many of you know, uh, that's great, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for that word. How many of you would say, that's us this morning? As soon as the trial hits, our first thought is, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to ride this thing out. I don't care how long it lasts. I'm just going to be patient all the way through it. How many of you, that's your first thought? It's not mine. It's not mine. My first thought is, how long is this going to last? How quickly can this pass? And you know what? I think many of us, instead of rejoicing in tribulation, we regret tribulation. And it's to our detriment. It's to our detriment of not understanding what God's doing it. He says that we're to be patient. So that brings me to a very important question, in which we'll see in the rest of Romans 12:12 12, 12 today. But how, in the world, can we be patient? How in the world can we say, okay, I understand. Okay, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be frustrated. Okay, I will endure as long as this goes on. Well, answer number one to how we can do that is the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? love, joy, peace, patience. There's no doubt in my mind where patience comes from. If we're to be patient in tribulation, friends, it's going to come from inside out, not something you do. It's going to come from the Spirit producing that in us, and that's going to come from a life that's yielded and open to the Spirit. That's going to have to come from a heart that knows Jesus. Friends, the Spirit works in us if he is in us. If there's no Jesus in you, friends, there's no spirit, so there's no way you're going to be able to live Romans 12. Of course, you wouldn't be a part of the gospel community to begin with. So Romans 12 is written to believers, and the way patience is produced in us begins with the spirit and being open to that. A second way that we can be patient in tribulation is remembering the the purpose of tribulation. If you hold your place in Romans and just turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 just turn just for a moment to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1. One of the things that we need to be reminded is that it's not just random or without meaning, but there are providential purposes in our tribulations. There are providential purposes in our tribulation. They're not all just random or haphazard. 2nd Corinthians verse 1. You ever want to be in comfortable because sometimes don't you feel like Paul always had it all together? Don't you feel like Paul always, you know, it, it's it, it's rare that I, I think I read Paul and I'm like, I'm not like Paul. I'm, I'm more, I tend to be more like Peter, I think, most of all. But but you see Paul and you're like, man, I wish that would have been my reaction, but mine was something else. Well, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 gives us a glimpse of Paul that I'm grateful for. He says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Friends, that's a tough trial. And, that, and it should be encouraging us. Paul said, it was so bad, we despaired of life. We were certain that we had received the death sentence. We were certain it was down for the count. This was it. It was over. But then look at what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What was the purpose that Paul would not rely on Paul, but that Paul would rely on God? There was a purpose in that tribulation. He felt it was the death count for him, the death sentence. But the purpose was that he would rely on God. He's going to say later, remember Paul's given a thorn in the flesh and he's asked to to pray three times that it would be released. But he says he wouldn't do it because God's grace was made perfect in my weakness. So I'm going to boast in the weakness that I might have his strength. And James will tell you in James 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The tribulation has a purpose, and it's producing steadfastness. It's producing perseverance, or as Paul is going to ultimately say in Romans 5, it's producing hope. So how can we be patient in tribulation? First of all, the Spirit is going to produce it in us. But the second way that that works is reminding us there's a purpose in this. He's transforming us further into the image of Christ. He's causing us to rely on God more than anything else. But there are two more reasons or two more ways of how we can be patient in tribulation, and they're found in Romans 12, On either side. The first one is rejoice in hope, and the second one is be constant in prayer. If Cross Point is going to be a gospel community that's patient in tribulation, it's going to be because one, we're rejoicing in hope, two, we're constant in prayer. So, on either sides of this are two more ways that we're going to see this uh, developed in us. The call of Romans 12 12 is not to rejoice without tribulation. You understand he's causing us to rejoice in spite of or even because of tribulation. And we're told to rejoice in hope. I've put the word there for you, elpis, the word for hope in the New Testament. Confident trust rather than uncertain expectation. When the Bible says rejoice in hope, the idea is confident trust rather than uncertain expectation. When I was younger, uh, I used to pass notes in class. Sometimes it would, you know, your typical note would be something, dear Jamie. Uh, will you sit next to me at lunch? And then what would you do? Check yes or no, right? Remember that? And then you would fold it in all kinds of cool origami patterns, right? And then pass it down, and then you would wait. But your hope was not certain, was it? Your hope was like, man, I hope she says yes, right? It was not certain. There was an anxiety about it because you didn't know if she was going to check yes or no or create her own box that said, never in a day, buddy, would I sit with you, you know? Sometimes they had write-in responses, and that wasn't good, right? That is not the kind of hope that Romans 12 talks about. What Romans 12 talks about is a hope that is completely certain, not in doubt. It is going to happen. Well, the question then becomes, what is that hope? And I would say to you, the gospel. The gospel. How can I be patient in tribulation? Rejoice in hope. What hope? The gospel. Turn back to 1 Peter where we started our service, the very first passage we read. And I know that we're turning a little bit. And some of you would say, man, I I don't like this. We're turning different books of the Bible. I don't know the books. One, may this be an encouragement to learn the books. Second, we want to support Scripture with Scripture. So we want to take some time to look at just these several different passages we've turned to today. But we want to rejoice in hope. What hope? The gospel. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's the word. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It causes me to sing songs a lot different when I read the verse that tells me he caused me to be born again. I did not save myself, friend. It causes me to sing and know who I'm praising in my salvation. It is what God has worked in me. And here he says, according to his great mercy, he's called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We had a garage sale yesterday, and we, somehow we tend to be people who accumulate so much stuff, right? But do you know how many of these things we'll take in our coffin with us? Zero. But do you know where the real treasures are? They're the things that we give, the things that we do for the sake of Christ, the money that we send, that they may know the gospel in places that are yet to hear Jesus. That treasure will never be uh, taken away because it is unfading. It is undefiled and it's imperishable and it's kept in heaven for you. So no matter what the New York Stock Exchange does Monday, it's not going to affect this treasure. And that's the treasure that we want to set our eyes on. And that's the treasure, friend, that you store now, not later. You store now, the way we live this week. He goes on then to say this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going to come back to that. In this you rejoice. There's the word again. "...though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." So how is it that when I find out, say as Mr. Carl has, that I have a mass in my lungs, how is it that I can have hope and I can rejoice even in the midst of this tribulation? It's because the gospel has not changed. My hope is not in my lungs. My hope is not in my body. My hope is not in Oshner's. My hope is in something that will not change. It is God and his glorious gospel that Christ has taken my sin. All of them have been atoned for, and no one can change what his substitution is. Wrong. And because it says God Himself guards it, I don't even have to guard it. So, no matter what the tribulation is, it changes nothing about where my hope is in God, in His glory, in His gospel. And I can be patient because nothing will change the most important thing. That's what we see in the text. Our problem is that's not where we look. We look at the trial, we look at the circumstance, we look at the surrounding, and we don't rejoice. But this is where we're called as a church. Rejoice in this hope. God is guarding it. He's going to go back in Romans 5. So let's go back to Romans. No more page turning. We'll just be in Romans for the rest. But in Romans 5, 1 through 5, we see these themes that are repeated. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, man, you would would be great to memorize these verses. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's nothing more important in all this world than to be reconciled to God. How does that come? We're justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love "...has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us." So here, Paul says the same thing that Peter does, that our hope is in God. It's in seeing the glory of God, experiencing the glory of God. It's in the gospel, which causes Paul to say later, "...this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." This was the hope that sustained Paul's joy and affliction. He preached to himself, and so must we, this affliction is not meaningless." It is not absurd. It's not cruel. It's not pointless. It's working for me an experience of the glory of God that will outweigh every moment and every degree of suffering in this life. What Paul says in Romans 8, is he says, these present sufferings cannot compare with the glory that will be revealed. How can I be patient in tribulation while you rejoice in hope? What does that mean? It means this, friend, there will come an end to trials and tribulations and tests and temptations. All of that is going to be an end. My mom and sister used to take me shopping. Do you know how I made it through those malls? I knew one day we would go back home, right? I knew one day we would walk out of the mall. I didn't know what day that would be, but I knew one day we would walk out of it. Do you know how I got through all those two-a-day football practices? Because I knew one day there would be an end, be it my death or a coach blowing the final whistle. But you can endure a lot when you know it's not the final word. And what Paul is pointing us to, to say the trial is not the final word. The final word has already been settled. God is guarding that final word. So you rejoice in it and rejoice in this because the trial is giving you a greater experience of God's glory than you would have had had you not gone through that trial. So you rejoice in this hope and it's certain and it's solid and we not, we're not shaken. We have patience, we endure it because... The gospel is not going to change. This is what the world needs to see. I don't think the world is impressed just with Christians and how we do on our zippity-doo-dah days. The world has zippity-doo-dah days. What's different is when they see the gospel on our worst days. What's different is when they see, I have joy because I have certain hope. And it's that King Jesus conquered sin death and the devil and he sits enthroned above it all and nothing will change that be it if I have one week to live or I have 20 years to live nothing will change where I set my focus so therefore tribulation trial I will be patient for it's an experience of God's glory that I wouldn't have were I not going through it but here's the second means to enduring being constant in prayer Back in Romans 12. Romans twelve twelve, Be constant in prayer. Steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. I had a few questions when I was going through this. I, I wonder if we're the people who wake up longing to talk to God. Do we wake up and say, man, I'm so glad I'm awake again. I can talk to him. I wonder if we're the people who love talking to God throughout the day. Eyes open, eyes closed, standing, kneeling, driving. I talk to God frequently driving in Baton Rouge. I wonder if our last conversation each night is with God. Friends, this is part of what it means to be constant in prayer. William Barclay said this, No man should be surprised when life collapses if he insists on living it alone. You never talk to the Lord, you never rely on the Lord, then uh, don't be surprised when the house falls apart. You insist on living alone. Being constant in prayer. I love what Jesus teaches us in Gethsemane. If there's anyone who knows it can't be any other way, it's Jesus. He knows he is the way. But he teaches us that we can pour our heart heart out to the Father in our deepest moments. And we can pray about any of these things, big or small. Friends, God cares about all of it. Most Christians will confess the difficulty of maintaining a regular and effective prayer life. I'm always challenged by the church in Acts 12, and it's one of my favorite passages. We did it with the college disciple now. James is put to death, but Peter's put in prison. And I love that the church prays for Peter. I love that the church doesn't pout when God doesn't set James free. Sometimes when God doesn't move the way we want, we will, fine, I'm not talking to you anymore. Well, that's great for you, buddy. I'm going to move on with my plan. I can tell you, I can strengthen you, or you can just go on. I love that the church, though James was killed, they still prayed for Peter. And do you know why they pray in Acts 12? It's because they were devoted to it in Acts 2. So it wasn't just in the crisis moment. It was every moment. It's how they were. We want to be that type of people. We want to be the people that pray constantly. Colossians 4.2 is one of the passages that I memorized for my dad's salvation. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. May it be true of us that we are those that are devoted to prayer. We're constant in prayer. How do you make it through a trial? You're constantly talking to Jesus about it. You're constantly going to him for the strength. You're constantly sharing your thoughts. Boyce has said there are two reasons why we might fail to pray. The first one is that we do not think we need God's help, thinking we're adequate of ourselves. And number two, we do not believe God really is a loving, heavenly Father. So, you know, there are two reasons why we might not pray. You think you got it all, in all 40 years of your accumulated wisdom. You got this. Or you really don't believe what the Bible says about him. A father who cares. A father who cares. Let that not be true of us. Let it be said, the cross point is one that is patient in tribulation because we're rejoicing in hope and we're constant in prayer. I hope that you will see the gospel even in Romans 12. Let me give you the picture, though, in case you haven't seen it. Here in verse 12 is a description of the Christian life. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. What we, we see wider in Romans is this. The joy that we have, it's in Jesus. The hope that we have is for Jesus. The patience is from Jesus. The tribulation is with Jesus. And the constant prayer is through Jesus to God our Father. I'll say it again. In Romans, what we see is that the joy is in Jesus. The hope is for Jesus. That's what our longing is for. The patience is from Jesus. He's producing it in us. The tribulation is with Jesus, and the constant prayer is through Jesus. I love that the gospel is in Romans 12, hence the gospel community. We cannot do it without Jesus. He is our only hope. I want to close by this, this way of giving you one more picture. Again, sometimes the trials and tribulations make us turn inward. Uh, last year in a prayer guide, there was a, a people group called the Afar People who live in Ethiopia. Some of you will find that funny later. <laughs> There's Afar people over there. Right. Well, their name is the Afar people, and they're in Ethiopia. And one of the excerpts from this prayer digest says It's 3 a.m., and the Afar father is still awake. The desert night is cold. He snuggles up to his wife and newborn baby to keep them warm. Their stomachs rumble with hunger. Should he slaughter his scrawny goat to feed his wife, hoping she will produce enough milk for their baby? Or should he beseech the clan elders to move again in search of weeds for the goat or maybe even some fresh water? They are fortunate. Both his wife and their baby survived the birth. The far people have the highest maternal fatality rate in the world. Women give birth without benefit of sterile conditions or even clean water. Of the babies born alive, one-third die before the age of five. Afar people roam throughout one of the most desolate places on earth, the Ethiopian desert. Drought and malnutrition make them vulnerable to diseases such as tuberculosis, malaria, conjunctivitis, and other waterborne illnesses. Of 13 million Afar people, 3 million of them are infected with HIV and AIDS. French trials come to all of us, there's no doubt. But if all we think about is us, then how in the world are we going to help those that need our help today in this world? May we be the church that is patient in tribulation, that understands it will end. And however long you design it, Father, it's for a good purpose, that I would rely on you more, that I would look like your son more. We rejoice in hope. The gospel is not going to change. And our Christ is overcome. And we're constant in prayer. We may be in communication. And sometimes like the, the boxer who goes to the corner to be encouraged by his coach. We have to do that. The coolest thing is our coach goes to the middle of the ring with us. He's the one who actually enables us to fight. Is this is how Crosspoint faces trials. Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for your Word. We pray that as we move to a time to close our service, transition into a time of announcements, and then, Father, a a very important meeting in, in the life of our congregation and in the life of grace. We pray before we move on to these next things, we would take a moment here, and we would let your Word be a hammer and a fire. We would let it be a mirror. Father, there's some of us who today, patient in tribulation may not be what describes us. Rejoicing may not be what describes us. So your word is calling us not to be better people. Your word is calling us to cling to Jesus to produce these things in us. This passage pushes us back to the gospel. Jesus is our only hope for living this. Father, some of us may need to be more devoted in prayer to you. We may not talk to you enough through the day. Not about a magic number of times, but it's about being in constant communication with you. Some of us may need to find others before we leave here today and ask them to bear a burden with us, to walk through the trial together. We thank you that our joy is in Jesus. Our hope is for Jesus. The tribulation is with Jesus. We're grateful that our prayer is through Jesus. Without Jesus, this would be a very ominous text. But with Jesus, Father, this is possible. Would you cause these vital signs to be true of cross point and of grace? In your name, we pray, Jesus.